Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. For the most part, the name of Jesus is just something people use to express their frustration, their anger. But the name of Jesus, the name above every name. And there is a time coming when that voice that spoke that simple I am and pushed back all the resistance with with just a word. There is a time coming when that voice is going to speak to you. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the Gospel of John. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on John chapter 18, verses 1 through 27, in a message titled, Christ in Control. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Turn now in your Bible to John chapter 18. Here we are. And as you can see now, we're coming really to the end of our study in this wonderful gospel of John. But as we pick up today, we now come to this narrative. Jesus has been you know, speaking with his disciples in that very intimate setting, as we've seen, beginning back in chapter 13, going through chapter 16, and then remember in chapter 17, he prays that beautiful, beautiful prayer. So this is now, all of that is finished, and we read, when he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. So the Kidron Valley, if you've ever been on an Israel trip with us, which I know some of you have, if we're up on the Mount of Olives and we're looking across at the city, we're looking at the east gate, the east gate is sealed up there, the valley down in between is the Kidron Valley. So Jesus would have left the city probably through the east gate, and he would have traveled with the disciples. They would cross the Kidron Valley. The Kidron is basically just a little, a brook that would be dry in the summer, but it would would be a a little bit of a, there would be a little bit of a flow during the winter. And so they crossed there, and they're going now to the Mount of Olives, and they're going to the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, all the other gospel writers give us certain details about the things that transpired in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm just going to mention them as we go through. But John doesn't do that. And John doesn't do that because John, as we've talked about many times before, John has a very specific purpose in writing. And so some of the details John just doesn't bother with. Other details John gives us that nobody else gives us. And this is where we see John's first-hand account. So they cross the Kidron, and they come to the other side, now to the garden, which we know would be the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of the Olive Press. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden guiding a detachment of soldiers. 
and some officials from the chief priest and the Pharisees, they were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out. Let me pause for just a second. So, as I said, John has a purpose, and he, he's highlighting something here. And he tells us right here, Jesus knowing everything that was about to happen. So none of this is taking Jesus by surprise. And the thing that we're going to see was stated quite well by Leon Morris in his commentary on John. He said this. He said, as in the other Gospels, it is the events surrounding the crucifixion and resurrection that form the climax of the whole book. John has his own way of handling these events, a way which stresses the divine overruling. Thus, his account of the arrest stresses Jesus' complete mastery of the situation. And there are touches like the it is finished of the dying Savior, which indicate plainly that the outcome was completely in God's control. Here we see the purpose of God worked out, and here supremely is the glory of Jesus displayed. So this is the thing that we're going to take away today. Our big takeaway is going to be that despite all appearances, Jesus is completely in control of this situation. So now this detachment of troops come. They're, they're led by Judas. Now, remember, the last time anybody saw Judas was at the Last Supper. And it was then that Jesus had said, one of you is going to betray me. And then it was Judas who left. Now, nobody even really understood. They still didn't figure out who it was that was going to betray him. And nobody really understood why Judas even left. They thought... John tells us they thought that Judas was going out to buy more for the feast. So they haven't seen Jesus. They've been in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus has had this this experience. Luke tells us where he's sweating, as it were, great drops of blood. It's been called the agony in the garden. There there was this, this agonizing that Jesus was going through. So all of this has already happened. And the next thing you know this detachment of troops shows up. Now, some people, commentators discuss, you know, interesting details sometimes. Some think it was uh, a combination of, of the temple guards who would have been Jewish and that somehow they had asked the Romans to come and assist. Maybe so, we don't know. But this detachment of troops come. But here's the thing. Judas is leading them. What must the other disciples have thought as they saw this happening, that Judas, he's leading this detachment of troops to arrest Jesus. But we see Jesus. He knows all that's going to happen. And so he went out and he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, our text says, Jesus said, and Judas the traitor was standing there with them. And when Jesus said, I am 
they drew back and fell to the ground. Now, it's interesting. I am he. Jesus literally said, I am. He did not say, I am he. And so what happens next is this detachment of troops. Now, there, there could have been, you know, a hundred soldiers there. But however many there were, maybe there were less, maybe there were more. However many that there were, when Jesus said, I am, they all fell to the ground. Who's in charge of this situation? John is intending for us to understand that Jesus is invoking the name of Yahweh, that he is identifying himself as Yahweh. And that is why there is this falling down of the soldiers. And in that, Jesus, of course, is making it clear who's in charge. So, again, he asked them, who do you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am. I told you that I am. Now, it's interesting that Jesus at this point, that's it, that he, he lets them know in no uncertain terms who's in charge, but then he also allows for everything to transpire. Now, going back to the I am for a moment, let me read to you what N.T. Wright said this, and I thought it was good. He said, this is the simple, clear, and world-changing statement, the I am, the simple, clear, and world-changing statement. The vulnerable man standing before you in the garden, glimpsed in the flickering torchlight, is the one who from all eternity was equal with the Father. He is the I am, the bread of life, the light of the world, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. Something, right, says, of this divine reality is the only reasonable explanation why the arresting party stumble and fall to the ground. Their reaction, whether voluntary or involuntary, mirrors what people in the Bible do when coming face-to-face with God. Of course, we live in a time when, for the most part, the name of Jesus is just something people use to express their frustration, their anger. But the name of Jesus, the name above every name, And there is a time coming when that voice that spoke that simple I am and pushed back all the resistance with with just a word, there is a time coming when that voice is going to speak to the whole world. I was reading Thessalonians this past week, and, and sometimes, you know, when you don't read certain books of the Bible for a while, you you forget how great they are. And I'm, I'm reading Thessalonians, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I forgot. Like, you know, here talking about the, the return of the Lord, he will come and with his very presence, he will destroy the wicked. You think of how entrenched evil is in the world, how 
almost impossible it is to get wickedness uprooted and removed. How can evil even ever be dealt with? Well, Jesus will deal with it with a simple word from his mouth, with the brightness of his coming. With the breath of his mouth, he will slay the wicked. And this is just a little reminder here of that being the reality with Jesus. So, picking up again. So, Jesus says, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, let these men go. Again, we see Jesus is in charge. Let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. All the Gospels tell us about this. John alone tells us who who it was, who did it. It was Peter who did it. And then John also tells us the name of the servant. His name was Malchus. And this is interesting in light of what we're going to read in just a moment, but bear with me as we get there. So Peter, of course, he's, he doesn't want this to happen to Jesus. Peter is well-intended, but he's, he's misguided. Maybe you remember the incident where Jesus had asked the question, who do you say that I am? All the disciples answered with different answers. Peter speaks up and he says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. My Father in heaven revealed this to you. And you are Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and so on. And then Jesus goes on to explain, yes, I am the Messiah, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be spit upon. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And Peter says, never. That is never going to happen to you, Lord. And Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Because you're thinking like your you're, you're thinking is purely human. You're not thinking like God. Peter is genuine. He's sincere. He loves Jesus. He does not want anything to happen to Jesus, so he pulls out his sword and says, there's no way. And he strikes the servant of the high priest and cuts off his ear. But Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? Now, from the other Gospels, back in the garden, we know that Jesus is praying. And what is his prayer? Lord, Father, if this cup can pass from me, let it pass. But if not, your will be done, not mine. And now Jesus is referring to the cup, the cup of suffering that's about to come, the betrayal that's happening. Jesus says that this is actually the cup that the Father had given him to drink. And of course, Jesus was... Again, in control of this whole situation, this is what God had ordained from before the creation of the world. Peter's trying to fight against it. Jesus is saying, put away your sword, Peter. Then the detachment of soldiers with its commander 
And the Jewish official, officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. Caiaphas, now John reminds us of something that he already told us. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. So John had, had uh, told us about that um, in chapter 11. It's recorded. They're perplexed about what to do with Jesus. And Caiaphas stands up and says, you don't know anything. Basically, this guy has to die. Because if he doesn't die, the Romans are going to come and take away our place. So it's better that one person die and the whole nation not perish. And now John brings that up again. What John also told us is that Caiaphas was prophesying even though he didn't know it. He had no idea that what he was saying was actually prophetic of what would happen. Jesus would die so the nation would not perish. Jesus would die so we would not perish, but rather that we could live. Verse 15, Simon Peter and another disciple were following Jesus. Because this disciple, this other disciple, was known to the high priest, he went in with Jesus into the high priest courtyard. But Peter had to wait outside at the door. The other disciple, who was known to the high priest, came back, spoke to the servant girl on duty there, and brought Peter in. So the mystery, who is this other disciple? I think most people agree it's John himself. He refers later to the other disciple, and it's clearly him. But just a a little bit of a side note, interesting thing, John is known to the high priest. Like I said, John's the only one who gives us the name of the man whose ear Peter cut off, Malchus. John is familiar with the high priest. He knows the girl at the door. He's able to bring Peter in. People wonder, well, how could that possibly be? Well, just a thought, and again, this doesn't really matter, but it's just I think it's good to know these things and to think about them. John's father was a very successful fisherman, and John worked for his father, Zebedee. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. They, their father had a fishing business. They ran the business. The priest would have purchased their fish from them. So it's probably through that little connection that John has this kind of relationship and he's able to go into this place where Jesus is is now going to, the, the trial is going to begin in the house of Annas and Caiaphas. So John brings Peter in. As Peter is coming in, verse 17 you aren't one of this man's disciples too, are you? Asked the servant girl. Peter replied, I am not. It was cold and the servants and officials stood around a fire that they made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them and warming himself. Meanwhile, The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I have spoken openly 
to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in the synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. And when Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest? He demanded. If I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? Then Anna sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So once again, we see Jesus is in control. High priest is asking him, commanding him. Jesus says, no, you go talk to the people. I didn't say anything in secret. And then even when he's illegally struck by this man, and he says, now, you, you know, you can't speak to the high priest that way. Jesus, Jesus is pointing out the, the illegality of what has just happened. Why did you strike me? And in all of that, we see, again, Jesus is, he's controlling the situation. And it almost seems here that Annas doesn't even know what to do. So he sends Jesus to Caiaphas. Now, again, just a little side note. Annas was the high priest, and under the Mosaic law, the high priest remained the high priest his entire life. But under Roman rule, because the high priests were very powerful, the Romans did not let them have an indefinite period of rule. They would replace them. So Annas was the high priest for about 10 years, and then uh, his sons replaced him. And ultimately, Caiaphas is his son-in-law. And so he's replaced by his son-in-law. But in the eyes of the Jewish people, Annas is still, he's still the guy. Caiaphas is a little bit of a puppet of Rome, but Annas is the guy. But here he is, he's the ultimate authority, and he really doesn't know how to even respond to Jesus. And so they send him to Caiaphas. Meanwhile, back to Simon Peter, he was standing there warming himself. So they asked him, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it, saying, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, challenged him. Didn't I see you with him in the garden? Again, Peter denied it, and at that moment, a rooster began to crow. Peter, you know, in here, you see these different, Judas is there, right? We started with Judas. So in Judas, you see this deception. You see this hypocrisy. You see this person who is pretending to be something that he's not. I mean, can you imagine being in the circle of Jesus and yet being a traitor in your heart from the beginning. I mean, that's scary to think of, but that's who Judas was. And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. In our culture today, there are plenty of people that would even challenge the historicity of Jesus. They would want to cast doubt on whether or not Jesus even lived. 
But did you know that there is no reputable historian who questions the existence of Jesus? And John Dixon has written a fantastic book called Is Jesus History? John is a PhD in historical studies and has done an excellent job in putting to bed the myths and the lies surrounding the existence of Jesus. Of course, Jesus was a historical person, and you can trust what the Bible says about him. And this little book, Is Jesus History, is going to really be helpful for all of those who are still asking that question or wondering about that. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, Is Jesus History? by John Dixon. You can order the book as Jesus History by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Is Jesus History by Dr. John Dixon. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the Gospel of John. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.